coach, teacher, podcaster, online business owner, and above all, I am constantly dreaming up ways to reimagine education. I provide teachers with tips, tricks, and strategies to transform their classrooms into learning hubs that are filled with creativity, innovation, and discovery. I hope to empower all teachers, no matter what subject they teach, to experiment with innovative learning models and lead their classrooms with 21st century skills. So let's learn and grow together as 21st century educators. This is the EdTech Classroom Podcast. Hi, everyone. So I'm sitting here on Zoom with Abby Brody, who is the founder and CEO of Mind the Gap, which is an innovative learning experience for college-age students. She has over 20 years of experience as an educator, both in the classroom and in administration. And I spoke with Abby a few weeks ago, and I was just so inspired by the work she is doing, and I just knew I needed to have her on the podcast. What I really love about Abby is that she strikes a perfect balance between educational research, driving her decision-making, and then also understanding what students actually need for life, both socially and professionally. Abby, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, so we just chatted for a couple of minutes before we started recording, and you said that you're living on a boat right now, which I think is super awesome. Uh, so could you tell us a little bit about where you're located, what you're up to? Sure. These COVID times call for COVID measures. Uh, yes, I am at the moment docked in Montauk, but me, my husband, and our two children, two boys, nine and six live at sea and we are considering living at sea for this whole next school year since it would be disrupted anyways we're trying to make lemonade out of lemons <laughs> and how long have you guys been living on the boat this is our longest stint so we have been on the boat now for almost two and a half months oh my gosh wow that's so awesome so have you been primarily like northeast area or Northeast area, we've gone Nantucket, Martha's Vineyard, you know, our backyard's the ocean. Sometimes we just drop anchor and throw the kids out to swim uh, without summer camp and all those things. The boat has become Brody camp. <laughs> That's so awesome. I'm like so jealous. <laughs> I will. Mom, come <laughs> yeah, I will. <laughs> um, so to start off, I just want to give you a little bit of context about this podcast. I know we've talked briefly before, but um, my hope is that it can kind of help frame the episode. Um, so for the most part, our listeners are educators. Uh, so we have elementary school teachers, we have high school teachers, librarians, school admin, uh, but we do have a growing number of listeners who are uh, families who are really interested in learning more about, you know, innovative ideas in education. Uh, so that's kind of some context for, uh, for the episode in general. Um, so could you tell us a little bit about uh, your career path and what led you to starting Mind the Gap? Yeah, absolutely. So like all good educators, started in the classroom. <laughs> I am a special ed trained educator, but I've never formally taught in a special ed setting because I have yet to meet the general ed kid. 
I've never met that kid. We talk about this general ed, but every kid is special in their own way of how they learn or how they socialize. So a special ed degree I found useful in every educational setting I've ever been in. So I taught an all boys setting for seven years, which I loved in elementary, and then had the opportunity of help founding the first concept world school, which is called Avenues, the world school. There are currently three campuses up and running, New York, China, oh, actually four. Um, New York, China, uh, Brazil, and we have our online campus. But Miami and Silicon Valley are coming online soon. And this was a really unique opportunity. The school was based on what is the future of learning and how do we get students for not ready for today, but really for tomorrow in this accelerated AI world and what are the skills. And we looked at really cognition and how to benefit critical thinking skills. And some of the things we landed on were, were an we created an immersion school. So these kids take 50% um, of their learning in Spanish or Mandarin, depending on the campus. In New York, it's Spanish or Mandarin. And that was a really exciting venture to be part of immersion education, which is a fascinating ride. So I was there. I was principal of the elementary school for a bit. Um, I helped start the online uh, campus, helped write curriculum for Brazil and China, and then left um, because I love starting. I love a good startup. I love the energy of an education startup. I love the idea that you're completely free. Um, and then why I left is I was really inspired by the turnover at schools. And when I would sit with these incredible educators that um, love what they do and are good at what they do, they were leaving because of financial strains. And when I really kept digging, student loans played a huge part of that. And I became very intrigued about the crisis in higher education and why we, there, why we had a teacher shortage, all these reasons, and founded an organization called Mind the Gap. And we are dedicated to find alternative pathways in higher education. So could you tell us a little bit more about um, Mind the Gap uh, and, and what you actually do with that? Yeah, so we, the first thing, we really consider ourselves data uh, scientists, first and foremost. So the first thing we did is we're really coming from the K-12 lens, which is unique. Going to our team is really based out of K-12. And I think that's to our advantage because we really know our students and where they are when they're going through the college process. And for the last two years, we have researched other countries. Uh, we've interviewed provosts, deans of students at colleges. We've interviewed college counselors. And then just looked at the data of the millennials. So we're really focused on the millennials that have been launched in the workplace and how they're thriving. And we were shocked by what we found. So from our research um, and what we deem success is only 14% of those who walk into higher education succeed. Where do we come up with that number? And that's shocking, right? 14% by our own education metrics, that's a big F. Um, so 50% of people who walk into, who apply and, and admit themselves into a higher education program will not, fall, will, will drop out. So that's 50% right there. Yeah, and that's crazy. That was, that's it, right? So it's already, we're already an F and we have hardly begun the data search. So they're dropping out. And we, we studied that. So we started there. Why? Why are these kids not finding success? And there, there were a lot of reasons, which I'll get into after, but the first two were really financial. And the second one were um, stress. Uh, stress was actually getting higher and higher. Then of the 50 that do make it, I'm putting make it in quotes, even though no one can see that, um, <laughs> they 50% uh, of those will make less than $26,000 six years out. 
And we know that 70% of that 50% statistically have student loans. So what that tells us is that the price of the degree isn't worth the market value of the degree. That is broken. And let's talk about teachers specifically. So I was lucky. I worked so hard in school. I got to go to Duke University. I roomed with six girls. Um, of those six, all of them were turned out to be lawyers. They went to finance. We all paid the same, right? My tuition to Duke was the same as theirs. But then I became a first grade teacher. There's something criminal here, you know? Should we be, should degrees reflect, the cost of degree reflect its market value? Is a big question that came to us through that. And then of the, so we, what, we have 25% left, right? Of the 25% that did, um, that are making more, right? They're actually making money uh, out of higher ed. 73 of those are not using their degree. They're just not using it. Uh, and that just seems silly to us, especially when you're spending so much money. True, there are critical thinking that you get from a college experience, but we think that people should go in kind of with an idea of what they want um, to utilize that experience, get everything they want out of it. So most of those students are not using those degrees. And then if you get into the data of depression and anxiety, which is a tough piece to parse out because our millennials just reporting more because it's more generally understood and accepted. We can't parse those things out, but we're finding that um, millennials uh, are having the highest rates of depression and anxiety. They don't like their jobs. They're moving around a lot. They're jumping around a lot. And then what was really fascinating is majority of them don't know what W-4 is, don't understand tax brackets, uh, have their parents read their contracts for their first employment before signing, and second and third employment too, and leasing agreements are all read by their parents. So I love the term. I never learned it until I started doing this research, but hashtag adulting <laughs> is a thing with the millennials, which could be anything from I did my laundry, hashtag adulting, to I balanced my checkbook, hashtag, hashtag adulting. These skills, though, we've learned are taught nowhere. Um, and it's a lot of finger pointing. And when you do these interviews with college, they point to high school. When you point, talk to high school, they point to college. And then when they're in the same room, they both point to the parent. <laughs> A lot of finger pointing, but no actual movement on this issue. That's that's uh, super interesting. And like I said, sort of when I was introing you, I am really interested in the fact that you're sort of, um, you know, relying really heavily on research and data guiding your decision making here, um, and sort of your thought process behind um, behind creating Mind the Gap. That's sort of how my brain is wired. I am like really into numbers. I really love research. Uh, so it's neat to hear that that's something that we're both um, really, really similar about. Well, then I could go into more of like what we did with that data. After we found the suppressing data and cried in a room for a long <laughs> time, that higher ed our students, and it doesn't get as much attention. And we think that has a lot to do with the fact that the parent isn't seeing it. Right? In K-12, the parent is very aware if something doesn't seem to be, they're not getting their value or their kids aren't getting support or they're not getting the right math problem set, right? All those things the parent is on, but they go to college and it's just kind of like, they throw all this money and they assume. So it came down to three buckets that we categorized these deficits and that's why we're called Mind the Gap. And we created a gap year program. Um, we were actually never thinking about going into gap years. Uh, we were drawn into gap year programs because of these three things I'm gonna get into. Um, and 
as data scientists, gap year programs have tremendous value. We could not get over the data. So just really briefly, a kid who does a gap year versus uh, their peers will outperform not just in school by more than one standard deviation, their GPAs tend to be higher, but also in life. They're more likely to get the job, they're more likely to use their degree. Gap year students are less likely to transfer, which is a huge issue. Um, students on average are graduating now in six years, not four. So parents, if you are listening and you are saving for that four-year experience, you gotta tack on two more years, okay? It is an average of six years of graduation time. Uh, changing majors has a lot to do with that too, we found. Um, gap year students are less likely to change majors and more likely to know what they wanna do. Um, so the three deficits we found with all this data was the first one was how we feel as K-12 educators is unrealistic expectation to have these kids know what they want to do out of the K-12. We, we are never, as K-12 educators, I've never been tasked with telling, a, giving a child the tools to decide they wanna be a public policy major. That's just not what we do. Um, and that's a bigger discussion if we should be doing that, but that's just not how currently the system's set up. Uh, a K-12 experience is school after school, Right? That's become a normal part of the experience in the last two decades. Homework, repeat. College looks nothing like that, and nor does real life. So um, we believe that personal development is key. And the fact that these kids are, the second reason why they're dropping out is anxiety and depression. And a lot of these kids have never failed, right? Their parents have been there to catch them. You know, if that test was on Thursday, that parent has made sure that they're coming home from gymnastics early on Tuesday and Wednesday to study for that test. Certain parents, right? Depends on parenting styles. They get to college and they fall to pieces. They might get that first F for the first time in their life and they're alone. They don't have the coping skills to deal with that. So our life coach is, coaching is part of uh, uh, what we do. We believe students need one-to-one. -one. When do they ever have an advocate that's just there for them? So in our gap year, our students get a one-to-one -one life coach that is really for them. Um, some of our students are using it to like start a business. Um, some of their, our students are honestly using the time with their life coach right now to talk about COVID and how robbed they feel. They, there's a lot of anxiety going on with Gen Z. And honestly, do we blame them? You know, there was no prom. There was no graduation with the hat. They were supposed to have this college experience and now it's looking very different. So, and that's okay. And through our life coaching, we actually explicitly teach mindfulness because anxiety is the number one most prevalent disability in our country. So if we could give these kids at least the ability to understand what anxiety is and giving them coping skills, then we've done our job. The second piece is that hashtag adulting, my favorite, uh, where we spent a year backwards designing from the skill sets that you need to be an adult, which was fascinating. Um, we have over 680 outcomes in a Google Doc. Uh, and then from there, put them into uh, our Life Hacks curriculum, which covers everything from cybersecurity. That's never taught anywhere. It seems to be pretty important these days. Um, even personal defense we teach, uh, college campuses and things like that. We're, um, we're addressing every need. And then basic financial literacy. It is not taught anywhere and it is socioeconomically across the board. You know, if you are um, wealthy, you're just as likely not to know about um, 
uh, financial literacy. That's a real misnomer. Uh, people think that this is a low socioeconomic class issue only. No, it goes across the board, we've seen. So we teach everything, even personal organization and executive functioning skills, we explicitly teach. And that is a 20 week course, each week a new topic. And then the third piece is kind of those critical thinking, um, project-based learning skills that yes, some schools are doing better, but we think that the uh, gap year would be a great place to explore like things about the real world. And honestly, just a year of in the real world, waking up, realizing that life actually happens before uh, 10 30 a.m maybe getting a part-time job having some real life responsibilities i mean look at business school they will not accept you right out of school they won't uh, because they know that just at even working at mcdonald's for a year will give you a little more grit and life experience and you might not walk out knowing what you want to do but it might narrow down the field of what you don't want to do so a year of just breathing and getting off the hamster wheel allowing kids to have this coach discuss what they want to do getting the adulting skills that they will be successful in life. They will be able to read contract. We have a lawyer teaching basic contracting skills to the kids. And then the third piece, learning um, these critical thinking skills and how to collaborate and empathy, listening skills. All So what we did for that course is we backwards designed from what um, hiring, the major hiring managers are saying they can't find. And listening is actually the number one People say they listen, but are they really listening? So actually teach listening skills through project-based learning. And how we're doing that this fall is we're doing empathy interviews with um, community members and police force and talking about the Black Lives Movement. That's awesome. All of this sounds so interesting to me. And I really wish that I, as a student, would have had the opportunity to um, go to Mind the Gap. I love the idea of you know teaching students these real-world skills and even another thing that you touched on is this idea that kids go through the K through 12 school system and they aren't introduced to real choice where they actually have the opportunity to explore something that they're interested in until they get to college. And then all of a sudden they have so many choices that it can be really overwhelming for a lot of students and they don't really know what to do. You start to think about it conceptually in terms of, you know, how many hours or minutes that kids don't have with choice. And then all of a sudden there's just so much so much choice in front of them. It's kind of, it's kind of crazy for me to think about. And, and I love what you're saying about choice, Maddie, because, you know, the big choice going on is also the party choices, I mean, but, you know, and that plays a real, you know, we're throwing these kids into an environment that they're not prepared for or ready for, right? They don't know what they want out of college. They don't even know why they're really going to college, except that they're told they're going to college. Um, and that's not a really good reason to invest and go into debt. Uh, and now we add parties. You can watch TV as late as you want. You can drink and attend all these really big choices coming in. So if you could take a gap year and have that experience of the party and living independently um, without the chem bio test, right? Um, and get and learn and have a real year of experiential growth before you add the another layer to it has huge benefits. And you get that one coaching through it. That's a, that's a really great point too. That's something that I feel like 
people kind of shy away from in conversations about college, but there is so much to college that is about like living on your own, going to your first party. Uh, And for some reason, I think that's taboo for a lot of people to talk about when you think about the purpose of higher education. But I do think that that is um, something that plays a role in a lot of in a lot of college students' lives. Yeah, and, and find the gap, we're not, we always joke, we're not afraid to say out loud that college is 90% party and 10% study. There's nothing wrong with that though. Um, I, I, that The experience of living on a campus with peers and navigating and finding your own way has huge benefits. There, you know, Let's just call it what it is. Now, do we think that 90% party, 10% academics is worth the price tag? We do not. Um, I want to circle back a little bit because you talked about how you teach all of this through a lens of project-based learning and that sounds really great and it sounds really intriguing but it's really hard for me to actually um, sort of visualize what that looks like. So could you give an example of what a project-based learning lesson might look like? Sure. So in, um, so there's MTG Coach, MTG Life Hacks, which is the adulting, and then MTG Next, which is our project base where we teach the meta skills, like empathy interviews, like when I was talking about Black Lives Matter. Let me give you uh, a really fun one. Uh, you know, a lot of kids are interested in entertainment. So in Life Next, we expose them to different vocations, and we actually talk about some tabooed things, like how much people make. You know, it's, you're not allowed to ask those questions. It's not socially appropriate to ask how much they make. But yet we expect kids to make these decisions, these students to enroll and put all this money towards a degree with no understanding of how much it's valued and how much you'll make on the other end. So we do explain. Um, so every Life Next jumps off with a vocational field. So let's talk about entertainment. Everyone's drawn to entertainment. It sounds exciting from sports to movies and all that. So what we do in um, entertainment, and we do uh, do everything with an impact lens. Uh, Gen Z is what our program's for, and they're an incredible generation. We all should be very jazzed about Gen Z. Uh, they are very much the I'm going to save the world generation, and we try to fuel that. So for this, what they do is we partner with a talent agency. Okay, and they are, as their pods, these collaborative groups that are kids from across the nation, but just happen to be in the same time zone, so for scheduling reasons. And collaboratively, they work on these projects. So we will, they will be given a uh, client through this talent agency. And it could be an actress, it could be a singer, it could be a songwriter, anyone. And with, they're going to do interviews. Again, that listening, okay? And they are going to then create a media campaign and learn how to leverage social media and all those tools that they play with but don't understand actually the corporate side of it and how they are manipulated. This is a really important tool for these kids to know too, because they are being manipulated by social media in a heavy way. But let them be the manipulators and understand that. So together, as a group, they have to do interviews and find out what type of impact campaign can they launch for the celebrity to gain them traction and notoriety while also helping their image, right? They're learning about this person's field, they're learning about how much they make, the struggles, right? struggling actor we all hear about but actually working with a struggling actor and hearing their stories they'll get to understand a little more about this vocation that seems so glamorous and exciting and they might fall in love with it even more and that's great because now it's an educated decision versus i follow kim kardashian on on instagram right um and they will create 
a real product. I mean, this is a real thing for a real person. They have to create a social platform for this celebrity, this junior celebrity to help launch their career. That is a is that? That's awesome. Um, and so do these celebrities actually end up using the products that the students create? Does it depend? Depends. depends. <laughs> it really depends. But you know, it doesn't matter. It, it's about, you know. Of course, of course. Awesome. I was just curious. But you know what I love about it? I like when they don't. You know, kids so, you know, we, they, we give them these projects and they think they've aced it and that anyone, you know, even if it's make-believe and they do a Shark Tank-like thing, they believe in their minds that they've aced it, right? Or their parents are on the board and we give them accolades. Let them fail. Like, because that's what happens in real life. You're going to pitch someone something and they're going to say, that's terrible. Great. Yeah, that's that's great to hear. I'm actually, that was going to be a follow-up question is how how do you help kids deal with like, because you're saying that a lot of kids come and haven't experienced failure before, like are there opportunities for them to fail and mind the gap? And it sounds like that, that's a really great example of one that exists. And, but through that, we're not letting them just drown, right? So in college, when they get that F, they're left alone and they don't really know what to do with that. They're scared to tell their parents. They'll have this one-to-one life coach. That's their advocate who will teach them how to process that because it might be their first time ever processing failure. Um, so I love that you, it seems like you have this really big vision for the future of higher education. Uh, and I'm really curious to hear about your your vision for the K through 12 school system like what do you think needs to be changed about the K through 12 school system in order to better prepare students for a program like mind the gap or to better prepare students for higher education yeah you know it's so funny uh i know you know i'm a k-12 educator and we'd be like oh k-12 it's oh you know always complaining about something and then when i got to higher ed i'm like oh k-12 it's the best uh, <laughs> so uh yeah, I, equity is really the issue with all education, and that, that is across the board in higher ed and in um, K-12, and that is a really complicated uh, cat to skin, and there's a lot of things we need to do there. So I'm going to put that aside for a little bit because that is a huge issue, but I think K-12 is actually has the right rally cries. Do they have the right resources, and are teachers getting paid what they should be, and all of those things that do it? That's a different question. But in regards to the push for project-based learning, because learning in a vacuum we know doesn't actually lead to any transfer of skills um, and does not compute in real life. You know, um, these kids walk in, think that they check off these boxes and they get a leave and real life work's never done. And there's no such thing as done. You know, you write a paper, you hand it in, you get a grade, it's over. No projects like that in the real world. You know, there's always a second edition to your book or you're always going back and revising, rethinking and making it better. So that is just that whole revision, uh, revising and all that. If we could stress that in the K-12. I do believe that blended learning has a place in K-12. Um, it's future. I'm very excited about some of these pilot schools. Um, one being with my former school, they are piloting a concept called studios where the students will be working on an online uh, the online platform, but have facilitators for the projects and, and collaborative group work. 
that brings down costs significantly and brings equity and some real strong educational outcomes and standards to, across the board. I'm very excited. It's still early stages of what this will look like, but I'm following these schools that are going in this direction and excited to see, you know, COVID had some positives in this horrible experiment that we're all thrown into as teachers without ever asking to be part of it. Um, one of the positives, people are a little more open to distant learning. They saw some benefits. One of them being the flipped classroom works really well in the distant learning model. You know, uh, instead you could give the lecture, allow kids to rewind, fast forward, email questions, like get that one-to-one, -one. have a facilitator if it's the blended model right behind them to ask the question. But then the actual problem sets are done live with a teacher. Uh, so I'm really excited about the opportunities blended learning can bring to the K-12 sector, but it's too early to know how it will go. Mm -hmm, definitely. And I think that you bring up a really great point. I feel like I hear from teachers a lot that it's really, they find it really difficult to do things like project-based learning in a remote setting. And I've been really surprised to hear this feedback because to me, it seems like distance learning is actually the perfect opportunity for, you know, teachers to be exploring some of these new, um, you know, project-based learning is not that new, but some of these more like innovative teaching teaching models, um, just because I think there's, uh, you know, more time, there's ability for students to work at their own pace. Uh, so it's neat to hear that that's something that you're thinking about too. Um, so for a teacher who really loves the idea of project-based learning, but just isn't sure how to, uh, you know, create, take that next step or create a lesson, uh, in a distance learning model, what recommendations do you have for them? Yeah. First is take a deep breath. Like, I really feel like it's so, you know, I do think the fall will go better than the spring. You know, just launching and, you know, for the public schools, they didn't even have spring break. They just went straight into online. It felt like a lot just to start navigating. Now you have your, my advice would be, now you have your feet wet. You understand what distant learning is about. You understand that a Zoom where you ask a, 15 kids the same question and they go one by one to answer is not going to work. Okay. Like, so we've learned a lot. Um, so I think you're going to, it's going to go easier this time, but my advice would be is now that you are not confined by the limitations of your classroom, think about all like a, a project that they could do in their home um, that they have ability to go at their own pace. So for example, for measurement, right? Um, a really great uh, project base that I did this uh, spring with some of my students was, you know, they're at home, they're sitting in their rooms all the time, let's redesign it. So they had a, you know, that's a project. And who isn't jazzed about that? So they got to, you know, they had to do mapping, measure all the walls in their room, measure doors and the angles that it takes to open. So if you put a new piece of furniture that you got to open your door, all these things, and then give them a Wayfair uh, website and have them shop and place all those items and make sure they fit. Now they're adding, they're creating a budget, like all these skills are being taught in this way that is so empowering. They're super excited. And then have them, then I had them do it again. I gave them a budget. First, I let them go crazy, right? And then do it again. And now they're repeating the same project, working on those skills again, revision, right? It's not done. It's not done. That's not the way the real world works. I'm so glad you have a spaceship rocket bed. Like, it's cool. But uh, you know, your budget is $1,000. Go. 
right? Uh, so all these fun ways of bringing in and letting collaborative. Um, now, one thing that I would love to throw out there uh, for educators looking for tech solutions to help project-based learning is it does matter what platform you're on. So for Mind the Gap, we did an extensive review of Zoom, Google Classroom, you name it, we've done it all. We were really excited about Jigsaw. So if anyone wants to do a Google search on Jigsaw, it is really reasonable price-wise, and it is a collaborative learning tool. Think of Zoom meets Google Classroom, meets Blackboard, meets all-in-one. Um, and if you're really struggling doing project-based learning distantly, it might be that you need some tech support and a real platform that allows you to think in the way you did in the classroom. So I would recommend reaching out to your administration and inquiring if you could get to use Jigsaw. Mm -hmm. That's that's a great recommendation. I think I'm always on the lookout for ed tech tools that can sort of act as almost like a launching point for a day of distance learning because I think what's so awesome is there are so many really great ed tech tools out there that exist that teachers are really sort of eager to try but then all of a sudden you know you're asking your students to experiment with 20 different tech tools and then there's all this clicking and stuff and so having some sort of you know launching point or some place that is a really great learning management system where you can keep um everything housed, I think can be really helpful for uh, students, especially for younger learners too, who are really um, have, have, you know, more difficulties like clicking around and figuring out which tool. And I think it also brings, brings up this element of predictability and routine too, which I think is really important for uh, distance learning is just like how you have your physical classroom where students can expect to see you every day. It's really nice to have this idea of a virtual classroom where, uh, you know, there is this, this routine and like predictability and expectation that students and teachers are going to be, uh, you know, start their day in the same place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, before we started chatting, you started talking about this really awesome new project that you're working on that I didn't even realize you were doing. Um, so could you talk about that a little bit before we start to wrap up? Yes, absolutely. I think this is a really exciting opportunity for parents and teachers, especially right now in COVID times. Uh, Microschooling, if you're not familiar with that concept, that is really the re-innovation of the one-room schoolhouse. What you know, what it brings is small groups together to form pods in communities. And what we're doing is we're finding um, pods and we're bringing them to, uh, to educators and we're helping educators start their own schools. You know, a lot of, and this goes back actually, they're actually linked because the reason I started Mind the Gap was to help teachers stay in the field and um, the student debt crisis and why are we having teacher shortages and why can't we get talent? Well, because I'm paying the same amount as my, my girlfriends at Duke and they're making tons of money and I'm not, right? Why am I going into teaching? So uh, how can we change that? And how can we make this work for everyone? Teachers sacrifice so much, especially elementary school teachers. I mean, I always joke, elementary school teachers pee on demand. <laughs> right? Like, right? We, we, we have certain blocks. We know it's, it's not for everyone. They're, we're truly saints. Like, I, we're all saints over here. And we're, but we love what we do. But all of a sudden, we find, the data shows, around year five, we stop loving what we're doing. There's a lot of reasons for that. Financial constraints are definitely the top one. But mixed in there is frustration, 
anger, class size, being asked to do things that you be asking to teach classes that you didn't originally sign your contract for, being asked to cover lunch and never getting to eat, not being able to pick up your and drop off your own kids from school, coming home beat, right? And like not being there for your own family. These are the top reasons why teachers are leaving. So micro schooling is really an alternative choice for a teacher to start their own school and teach it their way. You know, yes, you're going to have to hit the standards, but you get your own budget. You spend on the materials you want. There are no Wednesday after school admin meetings. You have control of your schedule. You find a family that meets your needs, you know? So for example, a deal breaker for you might be that you have a mother in a nursing home and at every day at 8.30, you need to go there. And now you're pushed out of the workforce because of that. Wait, no, let's grab these teachers. Let's find, there's definitely a family that would love to start at 10 a.m., right? Uh, I am that family, by the way, and I'm looking for a teacher. <laughs> so, you're out there, teacher. No. Uh, so, you know, if you're looking for more flexibility, that exists. And um, what really excites me about it, as we were talking about before, is raising teacher salaries. Uh, there is no marketplace. How our capitalistic society works is the demand, the this product price is really based on supply demand. But like teach, like we see nurses right now, we see construction workers, their salaries are going up. These essential workers are seeing bumps. And we think we'll see that for the next two years, you know, because they are being valued by the public in a way that they've never felt before. We're not seeing that with teaching. And it's a real shame because everyone's valuing teachers just as much. Uh, teachers and nurses are getting a lot of love, right? We've never felt so valued. We're deemed essential. I mean, wow, we've been waiting for this day for the teachers felt unappreciated, but they're not going to see the price increase because it is dictated by the state and the states are in crisis with their deficits right now. How can we create an open marketplace where parents can create demand and force states to be a part and value teachers for what they should be valued? An open marketplace. So uh, it is called Get uh, Schoolhouse. It's www.getschoolhouse.com. Dot com and what we do is we help empower the teacher so we do all the legal stuff and we are there to help find you a geographical match and a, a pedagogical match uh, and we give health insurance you get to spend your own budget you get your own budget no longer do you get this pack of supplies that you didn't even want and then you're spending your own money right teachers spend I think at the average is $500 a year on their classrooms it's crazy so <laughs> Crazy. And guess what? You're set up for success. You have eight learners at most. One teacher, eight learners. I mean, some of these pods are four, some of them are six, but the most is eight. In a location that works for you, it might be your next door neighbor. I mean, it just sounds like a really exciting option to, for teachers to teach in a way that they've always dreamed and to get this like disenfranchised group back in the workplace. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And, and I think, you know, you said that teachers are, are saints, and I think that that's absolutely true. And I think that teachers shouldn't have to be saints. And so it's neat that you are providing teachers with an opportunity where they can still do what they love, but they don't lose, you know, that feeling that made them like fall in love with teaching in the first place. Because I think, you know, teachers love to teach because they love teaching children, but then you know, all of a sudden there's all these other uh, factors that come into play that 
lead to teacher burnout and lead teachers to, you know, want to leave the field. So it's neat that you are exploring, um, exploring uh, solutions to those problems. Yeah. And, and I've heard a lot of teachers who have come to us have the issue of, well, my school is opening every day, but my kid's school is opening every other day. I'm out. Um, this gives them an opportunity and that puts their families in a real financial crisis. I mean, teachers are being pulled and they're part of this lab experiment. You know, we really don't know what the fall is going to look like and no lack of effort and no blame here at all. I, you know, I, my teacher friends and administration, I want to hug them. Like I, I get it. They're being, they're between a rock and a hard place, but to pretend that they have the answers is also not fair. There is no way they can tell you that you, that this is a safe plan. Um, no one's been in this situation. So I think micro-schooling for those who are at risk, you know, I have a husband with one lung, I have a child in remission from cancer. This is not a choice for me. I cannot go into a school building. Uh, and I'm sure there's other teachers with extenuating circumstances mm -hmm. that need choices and need an income. Definitely. This is enough. Definitely. Um, so how you said teachers can learn more about schoolhouse is it get schoolhouse or schoolhouse yeah the website is www.getschoolhouse.com and if teachers want to learn more about mind the gap how can they find that too yeah www.mtg which stands for mind the gap now.org follow mind the gap i mean the gap year program life ready that we're launching that is truly designed to take kids from being students to being adults uh following all the life skills so they can successfully transfer into the workforce that's just our first product we are very much going after my duke story of certain vocations are not being served by college and how can we create alternative pathways to becoming a teacher without spending all that money uh and we are looking we're we're continuing down those paths. So stay with us. We are not ready to announce anything yet, but uh, we are looking to find alternative solutions to help our country educate and grow and support our teachers. Awesome. And how can teachers find out more about you if they want to learn more about what you're up to? Oh, geez. You really want to know about me? Um, yeah, I would just, I keep updating on the Mind the Gap website. I would go there. You can always find me on LinkedIn. Um, and if you have any questions, you know, feel free to email me. I have no problem. I, I will respond when I can. It's abrody, B-R-O-D-Y, at mtg.org. Email me anytime if you have any questions. And uh, I look forward. I love talking to teachers. So And, and parents, too. I'm happy to talk to a parent who's struggling during these COVID times. We all need to support each other. That's definitely true. Well, thank you so much, Abby, for chatting with me today. It was really great to hear your story, hear know more about what you're up to. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you.